From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. If you haven't done so already, it's time to make sure you're protected against seasonal flu because flu season is upon us. Here with me in the HealthLink on Air studio to talk about this year's flu season is Dr. Jared Bagatelle, a family medicine physician who oversees employee and student health at Upstate. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air. Thank you, Amber. Thanks for having me. Now, from what I understand, Australia had a very um, an unusually early and fairly severe flu season this year. What does that mean for America? That's a very good question, and it's likely too early to really know what that means for us. But what we know, what happened with Australia, is their flu season began in April, which was two months earlier than usual for them, and it actually persisted into October. So... Not only was it early, it was it was protracted. And what was interesting is that the dominant strain of flu was uh, H3N2, which has some significance because back in 2017, that was the worst Australian outbreak in 20 years that they'd had. So they saw the same flu strain go through Australia, and that actually preceded our very, very bad year of 2017-18, where we had nearly 80,000 deaths due to that H3N2. So we have to keep our eyes on uh, on on the local symptoms so and, and where things are moving. Yeah. And and we look at Australia because of it's the opposite hemisphere? Or? Yeah. In the southern hemisphere, their winter months are opposite our winter months. So we're able to have the benefit of anticipating how it went through them to gauge how it may be for us. But there's so much space and time that happens in, betwe- uh, in right. between. Well, I want, are they watching us, our flu season, for their yes, next they one? Are. Then? So a- around the world, there are at least uh, 100 uh, flu experts and, and local stations that are keeping an eye on things so they know how to mix and match the appropriate flu vaccine in anticipation of what's coming ahead. You said H three N two. What 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 does that mean? That's a that's a great question, and it's really uh, it's really the magic and what what makes the flu so difficult to follow, track, and protect against. Uh, essentially, with influenza, there are generally two types of seasonal flu. There's type A and type B, and those are our seasonal influenzas. Now, type A can infect humans and animals, but they are the ones that are the potential for the pandemics. The type A usually is more severe, uh, and type B only infects humans. And those symptoms overall are generally more mild, and we often see the flu B strains after or toward the end of the flu season. But throughout the flu season, we're seeing both types A and type B. Um, But the very important uh, distinction is the type A. It's a very unique virus in that the outer coat of of the virus had these protein spikes. And the protein spikes are labeled the hemagglutinin, or H, H. and the neuraminidase, which is the N. So that's where the H and the N come from. And you toss it up, there are now 18 different versions of H, and 11 different versions of N. So you could imagine the potential variety of H's and N's that we see. Um, very familiar H1N1, bird flu, okay. the Spanish flu, H3N2. 
uh, they leave their mark because they left such devastation when they became pandemics themselves. Um, interestingly, the type B, the flu type B, only has one surface protein. So we, uh, it's not that we don't worry about it so much. It's a little easier to keep track of. It doesn't change as often as the type A does. So if you have one of those variations of, of one of the type A's, um, does that protect you from getting it again later in life? That's a great question. Yes. Once we are exposed to a certain flu type, uh, we build uh, immunity to it. How long that immunity lasts is variable depending on a person's uh, general health or, or where they fall in the age spectrum. Having said that, it is absolutely important to get an annual seasonal flu vaccine because that is going to prime the system to be prepared for the most anticipated strains coming through. So the flu vaccines currently are, uh, include four types that they protect us against, two A's and two B's. That's for this year's? It's for this year's, and okay. they're called quadrivalent, so mm -hmm. they cover four different strains, uh, two A's and two B's. And it's good to know that the two A's were updated uh, with this flu vaccine to anticipate, again, the H1N1. It was updated with a pandemic of 2009, so it had that like strain, and also the H3N2 like strain. So what went around Australia, we hopefully will be protected, protected against. against. Okay, well, that's good to know. So let's talk a little bit about who needs to be vaccinated. Sure. So if you had the flu last season, you need to be vaccinated again this year. That doesn't protect you for the coming year, right? Absolutely. And Amber, if you had the flu last week or the flu last month and you hadn't received a flu vaccine, you should receive a flu vaccine as well. And the flu vaccine is covering us against four strains of flu. So you got sick with the flu Whichever strain that was, there still may be other strains floating around that have yet to uh, to introduce themselves to so you. So you could potentially get the flu more than once. Absolutely. Because it would be a different strain. each. Absolutely, and that's not uncommon. And all too often, people misinterpret that the flu vaccine may have given them the flu when that does not happen. It was uh, more likely they were exposed to somebody with either a different strain that they hadn't yet had or, uh, or the flu itself. So who needs to be vaccinated? Well, the CDC recommends everyone over age six months be vaccinated. So babies all the way? Uh, starting at six, six months. months. So starting at six months all the way, there is no uh, upper age limit. So pregnant women too? Pregnant women primarily are in that group that are indicated to have seasonal flu vaccines. Uh, there are certain populations of folks that may be at increased risk of complications of the flu. And interestingly, the, the flu knocks you out for seven days, two weeks, but what actually kills people are the secondary infections or the complications that are the result of being infected with the flu virus. So if a person is, genuine, is uh, generally uh, immune compromised or their health is at risk because they're a chronic smoker, uh, chronic lung disease, heart disease, kidney disease, uh, cancer treatments, uh, or, or even just older age, um, the immune system is already compromised, and uh, getting kicked once is tough, but getting kicked uh, over and over again is really the, the concern, and the most common reason why people die from the flu is the, the secondary 
infections that people get. So they get like pneumonia. They, get, they or would get pneumonia or, or sepsis, blood poisoning. But pneumonia is typically what we see. And those folks whose uh, immune systems or, or overall health isn't uh, well enough to fight against what's ahead after the flu hits are precisely the things we're trying to prevent. I've heard about a high-dose flu shot. Yeah. What, what, that sounds new. Did we have that last year? Or? We had it last year. I don't know exactly how many years we've had it now, but it's been available, and it is offered for those people over age 65. Now, um, the American uh, College of, uh, of uh, Immunization Practice in the CDC uh, suggest it, uh, but there's no uh, overall uh, clear recommendation that if you are over age 65, you must get this vaccine. That's a that's a discussion to be had with your individual individual healthcare provider. Uh, it's generally recommended that if you're over 65, the high dose is a is a is a option to consider. The theory behind it is that you're getting a little extra boost of the antigen within the vaccine which will hopefully prime the immune system to last longer than. Typically, a flu vaccine is going to cover somebody at least six months. That'll be through most typical flu seasons, unless, as Australia saw, it goes longer than expected. Uh, in that case, if someone, again, in theory, older than 65, had the vaccine really early in the season, let's say August, and the flu peaked later in April or May, uh, they may or may not be as well protected as they could be, and the high-dose vaccine is, uh, was developed uh, with that uh, intention in mind. I've got some more questions about that, but you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking about flu season with Dr. Jared Bagatelle, a family medicine physician who oversees employee and student health here at Upstate. So uh, allergies, people who have allergies to eggs, are they able to get the flu shot? Yeah. They, they can. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, three years ago now, the CDC uh, reported and recommended that people with a history of egg allergy who experienced only hives after exposure to eggs should receive the flu vaccine without any specific precautions. Um, people who report having had anaphylactic reaction, which is a much more serious reaction that might require uh, you to be uh, resuscitated, revived, or given epinephrine or, or otherwise, even in folks who have had that reaction to eggs, the more, se more severe than hives, these folks may also receive an age-appropriate immunization vaccine, influenza vaccine, um, but the vaccine should be administered in a medical setting where uh, a healthcare provider could supervise it and monitor in case there were any severe allergic reaction. Is there anyone who's recommended not to be vaccinated? Yes. Those folks who should not get a vaccine, understanding that there is the shot, which is inactivated, and there's also the option for the nasal flu vaccine, which is a live vaccine. So... In general, those folks who should not get a flu vaccine is anyone who's experienced a severe allergic reaction to a previous flu vaccine. Severe allergic reaction is anaphylaxis, okay. sudden shortness of breath, clutching chest pain, sweatiness, faintness, a fainting spell, uh, even severe abdominal cramping associated with faintness, 
uh, or profound hives, allergic reaction that the skin is, is showing, those folks should not get another flu vaccine. Except for that. Okay. Everyone, everyone is available uh, and certainly uh, safe to get. If, if you've got a moderate or severe illness that's acute, uh, you're going to put the vaccine on, on hold until you feel better. But for general mild illness, such as a mild cold, a sniffle, uh, your allergies are acting up, uh, there is absolutely no reason you why you should get, wait okay. to get the flu shot. It takes two weeks to do its magic and protect you as it's intended. Uh, do not wait. Um, there's also an extremely rare condition that people hear about, and it's called Guillain-Barre syndrome. It's a big word. It's a neurologic condition that's extremely rare, and it's a progressive um, a weakness. Um, back in 1977, when the World Health Organization and those who prepared for the flu season then uh, in mass produced a large amount of vaccine against what was perceived the swine flu at that time. And so they did a mad rush, and they gave a lot of people vaccines in that period of time, and they saw that there were an amount of people who developed Guillain-Barre syndrome, and they made this potential association to that vaccine with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Since then, we haven't seen that uh, as much, certainly, uh, and it is only uh, a precaution that if you've had a Guillain-Barre syndrome-like illness within six weeks after getting a flu vaccine, that you should mention that to your healthcare provider before getting a flu vaccine. Oh, good to know. Yeah, it's a rare disease, and it's not caused by the flu vaccine. Okay. Yeah, I just want to. Now, you mentioned swine flu, and earlier we talked about bird or avian flu. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, animals can transmit or get uh, A, type A influenza? Yeah, that's the, the, the magic and the mystery behind the type A, is only, only humans can share type B. But type A can be shared amongst, uh, amongst species. So birds and other animals, birds and pigs primarily, hence the avian or bird type flu, or the swine flu or pig flu. Uh, certainly. What, a, what about domestic animals, dogs and cats? It, it's, it's a great question. And uh, type A has been uh, found in waterfowl, so the ducks. Uh, certainly chickens are the big bird kingdom that we look at. Um, pigs, also been discovered and reported in, in whales and horses and seals. Oh my, and, uh, and, even, uh, and even cats. But that does not mean we, sh we shouldn't snuggle up to our cats or our dogs or our pet whales, should we have any, uh, or horses, uh, if they've got a little bit of a cold. It is extremely unusual that people get influenza infections directly from animals. The magic is when a bird virus or a pig virus gets shared with a human virus and then a new concoction is developed. That's the pandemic risk. That's what happened three times in the 20th century. It was 1918. It was with the Spanish flu was with the, 1918. The Spanish flu, and there remind the listeners that worldwide, 500 million people were infected with the flu, and up to 10% died. Right. Profound. That was the discovery, eventually in retrospect, um, of the H1N1. The next pandemic hit in 1957, and then after that was 1968, when the H3N2 
we're coming full circle now, right? H3N2, I mentioned, they were seen in Australia. It's in our vaccine this year. H3N2 is a little bit of that swine flu. Now, in 2009, you might remember 2009, as recently as then, we had another pandemic. And pandemic means that the flu is spread throughout the world, as opposed to the epidemic or the seasonal flu we see in pockets of communities or within countries. The pandemic is rare. It's that special mix of bird or pig with human that gets converted into this, into this potentially lethal strain because nobody's seen it before. It's a new mix. So 2009 was the Mexican flu, and interestingly, it was a combination of avian, bird, swine, pig, and human. Wow. Well, let me switch subjects a little bit in terms of how the flu is spread. Um, is it true that a person is contagious and potentially spreading the flu before they even know they've got it? Yeah, that's the other scary part of the flu. Again, for the listeners out there, the flu is not just a simple cold or, or the sniffles. It's, it's a serious condition that can, be, that, can be, that, that can contribute to death, certainly. But it sort of starts as something you don't really, it doesn't announce itself as Abs- influenza, right? Absolutely. So. I want to briefly explain as best I can how the magic of this virus works. All viruses to live and multiply need to have a living cell as its host. Guess what? We are the host. You're the host of this show, and hopefully you're not the host for the next flu virus coming through. So the the virus gets into the mucosa of the respiratory tract. It then, again, I mentioned the H and the N. So it's the H spike protein of that envelope that, like a hook, catches onto the uh, mucosal cell. It gets engulfed into the cell, and lo and behold, it's now hijacking that cell's ability to multiply its RNA or its genetic code. And within 12 hours, that one virus is turned into one million viruses. Then the magic of the N, the neuraminidase, acts like a hammer to break itself out of that cell that it borrowed for those 12 hours to then share the millions of viruses with the organism itself that was hosting as well through a cough and a sneeze that's going to happen 24 hours after with the rest of the world, where it then goes on to borrow somebody else's body to develop and spread. It is profound and amazing how this virus has existed for as long as it has and how we can't keep up with it. So the best we can do is use the tools we got with the knowledge we know from past experiences. Get vaccinated. Absolutely. If it's 40% effective, it's better than zero. In a good year, 40 to 60% effective. Make sure that if you're sick, you protect your sickness from others. So wear a mask, cover a cough, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. And certainly if you're sick, don't go to school, don't go to work, don't go shopping. Um, If we stay potentially, in theory, at least six feet apart from each other, uh, we wouldn't be able to spread it to each other, except through inanimate objects like tables and such, because it could live for some time on a, on a table. But wash your hands frequently, 20 seconds, warm water, and soap, or hand sanitizer. 
What's your recommendation in terms of treatment, aside from staying away from people? I'm sure rest. Absolutely. You want to make sure you get rest, you stay very well hydrated. Um, Another thing that that may be helpful would be to keep your nasal passages moisturized. So nasal saline spray or a humidifier in the bedroom. Uh, The reason flu spreads commonly in winter months is not so much because of a cold. It's more likely due to the low humidity. So if we can keep our nose doing what it was intended to do for us, which is keep the air moist and warm before we get it, it also filters out some of the bad stuff. Um, Keep it going, especially if you have a cold, it's going to be overtaxed and it may not work as well. So you're more susceptible to getting that one or the million strains of virus in in a droplet that somebody sneezed upon your hand that you rubbed in your nose and then it told two friends and so forth. Is there a signal that you need to get medical attention? At what point do you need to see your doctor? Sure. That's an excellent question, and it really depends on uh, the person's overall general health to begin with. If we're looking at a little kid, somebody under age six months who themselves are unable to be vaccinated, as I mentioned, it's for six months and older, everybody around that newborn and infant need to be protected. That's the only chance this newborn has to prevent from getting the flu. Uh, So if there were an acute illness in someone under age six months or really anybody under two or a a young child who may have asthma, who may have uh, other, um, other comorbidities, as we say, other medical conditions that may increase the risk of secondary infection, as we mentioned, or uh, just uh, their overall health could not tolerate being ill with the flu. Um, Asthma is extremely common and certainly in kids as well who may or may not yet be diagnosed. So you want to be mindful of that kid who may have recurring coughs or recurring wheezing or may need a a nebulizer treatment or or an inhaler to help open up the air tubes. It's also important to know that that flu vaccine that I talked about that comes in a nice nasal spray so I don't have to get a shot, um, it is a precaution in folks who have asthma because the live vaccine nasal spray is something that may not be Uh, used uh, in those folks who have asthma. So um, it's important to talk about all that with with your healthcare provider and your personal doctor. Um, If you feel awful and sick and you're generally healthy, some Tylenol, some rest, some fluids. If you feel otherwise ill in a way that feels disturbing in your soul, get out there and, and seek immediate attention. So let's talk about the symptoms of flu and how you go about telling the difference between whether it's a flu or a cold, or I should say the flu or sure. a cold, right? Because a lot of people would say, I've, I've got a, a bit of the flu. Yeah. But do they necessarily know or mean that they've got influenza A, H, 3, N, 2? Sure. Right? The, the term is often used quite loosely, uh, colloquially, and it certainly, as a medical provider, it carries a lot of weight. Diagnoses carry a lot of weight for the healthcare team as well as for the patient themselves. Um, And it's interesting you say the flu. There's the flu, and as we talked about, there's the, the flu. Like, this is the pandemic flu. The one that's going around. Um, But generally generally speaking, um, those who have had the flu uh, certainly uh, would be able to speak uh, best (laughs) to how different it was to all the other colds they may have had. The primary distinction between the flu and a common cold is the sudden onset of the symptoms of uh, usually profound Achiness, dry cough, uh, sore throat. 
When you say sudden, yeah, do it, you mean there twelve fifteen? There are people happening? who have described the the way the virus has to replicate and multiply within uh, your body. It's kind of like uh, the popcorn and the popcorn maker just sitting there getting ready to go. No popcorn's made yet. It's just kind of it's going, it's going, it's going, and then bam, all this popcorn hits and comes out of your popcorn maker. That's what happens with the flu virus. It hits you at eleven fifty seven a.m. People know when they started to feel profoundly achy, feverish, uh, teeth chattery, uh, chilly, um, and along with a, a dry cough, a headache. Interestingly, the headache people have described uniquely as that kind of headache where when you move your eyes, your head hurts. Oh. It's just a, one of the symptoms that uh, patients have described to me over the years. That certainly would be unique to a common cold. Um, if you feel so awful that you don't feel like you can get up and go, that's more likely the flu versus a common cold where you got some stuffy nose, a sore throat, maybe a little bit of a wet cough, um, but you're not having a big fever. You're not really feeling achy. You feel like you could do this with a, with a cup of tea and some Tylenol and get up and go, and there's no fever, certainly. Um, if you feel like you can get up and go and you have these symptoms, it's more likely a cold, but if you feel like you can't get up... <laughs> That's the flu. And again, there are variations on the theme. So we mentioned that there are two distinct types of seasonal flu. Type A, I'm primarily describing. Type B can also present as such, but often is a little milder, but still more severe than the common cold. But there are variations on themes with respect to which strain you got, um, even perhaps how much sleep you got over the nights before, or how susceptible you may be. Uh, how virulent or how strong that strain is that has infected you. There are so many variables, but generally speaking, it's the abrupt onset, it's the profound symptoms of it that should make you think about the flu. Now, if you're an otherwise healthy person, but you fear that you know, you've had this sudden onset and you feel like it, you probably do have the flu, is there a reason to hurry into the doctor's office um, is there an antiviral that is effective? And then is it important to be tested so that you know for sure whether it's type A or B or whatever? Those are great questions. And a lot of folks are wanting to know, what should I do if I think I have the flu? Well, first off, if you're generally healthy, you don't have any medical condition that otherwise compromises your health, you're not a smoker, you don't have underlying asthma, uh, there's no immunosuppression, you're generally healthy, most people with a typical seasonal flu are going to recover on their own and do just fine. It's going to be a rough five to seven days where the, the feverish feeling is going to go away within four days, but that, that achiness may resolve within seven. The cough may linger for a week or two, but it'll pass. Certainly, there is an antiviral available. And the antiviral medicine is best used when the treatment is begun within the first, ideally, 12 hours of the onset of symptoms, but can be helpful up to and not likely beyond 72 hours after the onset of the symptoms uh, with no guarantee. And the best it can do is reduce the duration of the, the flu symptoms by one day. Oh. It also can blunt the severity of the symptoms as well, which is what most people are looking for when they feel so sick. Um, I've seen 
patients I've treated over the years who I've provided them the antiviral medication within uh, hours of the onset of symptoms, and the next day uh, they call uh, uh, with gratitude. Uh, it can work that quickly in some folks. By no means is it the cure-all. It's not the panacea. It's certainly not the fountain of youth. It's, uh, it's available and primarily indicated for those people who are otherwise at risk for secondary complications, uh, complications due to the flu. Generally healthy, you'll get through it. Don't necessarily need the antiviral. It'll save you a day. Someone who has asthma or is a smoker or is immune compromised, absolutely. See your doctor, work it through. That antiviral medicine can potentially be life-saving. Life well, lots of good information. Thank you so much to Dr. Jared Bagatelle, family medicine doctor and director of employee and student health at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.